All right. Welcome to the Tavern Voices podcast, a second episode here. I mean, it's only been a, a short, what, year since the last one, Tyler? I don't know. That's, that's how good not, they are. That's yeah. how good they are. There should only be one a year. It's not fair to everyone else if we do more than one. We're like Marvel superhero movies. We just make people wait. <laughs> Uh, apparently, you haven't seen the, uh, the, the 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 slated release dates for the next movies because they do far more than one a year. <laughs> yeah, it's getting out of hand. I can't even. I'm just abandoning certain threads because I just can't watch that. Yeah, movie no, movies. I haven't. I I um, I saw the trailer for the Infinity movie and I didn't recognize like half the superheroes in that movie. I realized I don't think I've watched a superhero movie since Iron Man. Um, no, I saw the Avengers. I think that was the last one I saw. And then I don't know. I it's. I feel like I'm. I'm it's like realizing you're in season seven of Breaking Bad. And the last episode you watched was like the fourth in the first season. And you're like, there's just no point in catching back up. So, No, there's not at all. I completely gave up on, I, I mean, I haven't seen half of the new ones that are out. It was basically, I, saw, I just saw Thor because that's the only one of the main three characters that I'm actually up to speed on. I can't keep, can't keep track. Oh, you mean you saw the latest Thor movie? Yeah, I did. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't. Seriously, I don't think I've seen anything since Avengers. That was it. And I don't know. Infinity War looks pretty good, but I don't yeah, know. I can't, any- I can't say. I, mean, I haven't. I don't know who all these people are, so I just assume it looks pretty good. <laughs> no, I will. We'll, we'll, we, we can jump back into that if you want to keep talking about it, but we'll introduce myself. I'm Kevin King. With me, as always, is Tyler Crawley, the host of The Tyler Crawley Show and the one and only Tyler Crawley, I figure if we keep saying your name long enough, people yeah, no, will I remember it that. at That's some point. Good. That's good. I think it's like, what is it, nine times repetition? So if you say my name, Tyler Crawley, enough times during this podcast, I think we'll we'll be good to go. We'll be, yeah. Not like Beetlejuice. No doubt about that. Nothing. Yeah, no, no, no. I won't like jump out of the uh, clay, small town, whatever. What, I don't know what do you call that thing. <laughs> the, the, what, what do you call those Diorama things? Diorama or something? Yeah. No, well, the movie, the, 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 the whole thing he's got, like the, the model town, the model town. That's what I was going That'll for. That'll work. I, I, don't know. I don't know if there's like an official term for that, but I don't know what it is. You know what's more exciting than Marvel movies though, Tyler? What? That is the Alabama. <laughs> and if I that's not a wish, segue, I don't know what is. I, I wish it was a movie. I really do because I could just turn it off and go to sleep and wake up and be like, that was a good movie last night and then get back to like other things. But uh, and the, I'll tell you the real terrifying thing is that more than likely Roy Moore will win tonight. And that means this was not the end, but the beginning of just Roy Moore in Washington. Like, I mean, it's like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but like horrible. So like I, I don't know. Boy <laughs> goes to Washington. I was actually wondering, is he going to ride the horse every time he has to go vote in the Senate? <laughs> like every time there's a vote, a roll call vote, or like just some stupid procedural vote, is he going to have to get on his horse and ride it from his apartment in DC down Connecticut Avenue and, and, and go to Washington and, and, uh, or go to the Capitol and vote. I'm, 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 cur- I'm wondering, cause he apparently rides his horse every time he goes to vote. So what's going to happen when he has to vote in the Senate. So I'd like, that's a question that I would like to see answered before the end of tonight. I wouldn't hold your breath tower. Cause I'm not sure that, that we're going to get to the bottom of that, of that big dilemma, because I mean, unfortunately, this is an absolute circus of a year. Everyone that I keep talking to, you know, 2016 was just crazy. I mean, the, the, the things that were going on, the, the way that election culminated and 2017 was like, no, I've, I've got this covered. Let me one up you. And every month it just keeps getting more and more drastic into the point of, I honestly have no idea what could possibly happen tonight that would be beneficial for anyone. 
Well, here's something I noticed the other day because we've been talking about the tax bill a lot. You know, our our current deficit and the projection is our projection. The deficit this year is six hundred and sixty six billion dollars. If that's not like the perfect analogy for how bad 2016 or 2017 has been, it's the fact that our deficit is 666. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Roy Moore, I think Roy Moore, for a lot of people like myself who are worried about Trump getting the nomination and then winning and becoming president, is that it's not so much Donald Trump because Donald Trump, you know, if you actually look at this year, he's actually been pretty traditional conservative Republican president besides his Twitter feed. But you look at the national conservative, you look at Neil Gorsuch, you look at the regulatory reform, you look at a lot of things that he's done, you know, his, uh, str- you know, the, the Jerusalem thing I thought was, you know, a lot of conservatives like that. Um, he hasn't been that bad, but I think the real concern is, is that is what, what more represents. And that is, that's what Donald Trump is going to bring to the party. It's more people like Roy Moore, where it's just this, this like in just who can out insane the next person. I mean, that's, that's the concern is that Roy Moore, he's going to be like Trump, but he's not Trump. Like Trump at least is in the executive branch and he can say crazy things. But, you know, I, I, I told someone today, Roy Moore reminds me of Ted Cruz. If he wasn't intelligent like that, he, he says crazy stuff, but he doesn't have like the brain. He doesn't have the intelligence to be able to spin his way out of it. Like Roy Moore's just going to keep digging and digging and digging. And, and I guess we should notice that we're, we're recording this the night of, so we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so most time people are listening to this, it's going to be after uh, we find this out. And I'm assuming that Roy Moore is going to be victorious, but so that's basically the- we are in the age of innocence right now, right now, after, yeah. as soon as, as soon as we are done <laughs> with this yeah, forever, we will be in a different landscape. Well, it'll be like, you know, they used to joke about, you know, it was before Trump and after Trump. We're, we right now are representing the last moments of before more. And then after this, it's going to be AM. It's going to be after more. And uh, but we're, we're, we're going to document what it was like before Roy Moore uh, became a United States senator. And from all, I, all I've read, because I've done the research, I've read a bunch of articles on this. He's not going to get expelled. Um, he wins. He's going to be the senator. I mean, they're going to make a big fuss. They're going to have an ethics investigation. But the likelihood of them being able to remove him without two-thirds vote in the Senate, I don't think he's going anywhere. So we better buckle up because I think it's, what, two years that seat's going to be around, and then we'll see what happens. But he's he's here to stay. If he wins, he's here to stay. Well, I, I would also say that about Trump as well, even though people keep trying to to get rid of him. And I do <laughs> have a question for you. Do you think it's any coincidence that, that – Twitter opens up the number of characters that you can tweet as Trump is president. <laughs> I think that's purely intentional because otherwise I, I think people just want more of it. Cause I was reading the tweet about uh, Kirsten Gillibrand tonight on the news. And I was like, that yeah. is a very lengthy tweet. That is not what Twitter was meant for. Yeah. That's I actually, way too many characters. When he tweeted that this morning, I actually said, if there's one person who has loved this expansion of Twitter more, it's been Donald Trump because it was not only that tweet, but the tweet before where he was making fun of Hillary and called her uh, crooked used. I, for some reason, that's like, I don't know, that's her new nickname used. I don't know what that means. Um, but that was like two, that was a whole, that was full 282. So he's loving it. I don't know. I think, I think they did it because I don't know. I think Twitter is, is bizarre to me. I've never seen a, a, a company that has so much potential and gets so much attention and doesn't utilize that. 
Uh, like the one thing people have asked for is to be able to edit tweets. Cause I've had that happen where you tweet something and all of a sudden people start retweeting it and you realize you misspelled a word and you're like, Not great. Either. Now everyone, no, yeah, everyone's I, gonna... I don't believe that <laughs> you're very thorough in your, I know, exactly. your copywriting stupid autocorrect. Um, but yeah, and that's the thing everyone wanted. And instead they're like, no, we're actually going to give you twice as much room to mess up and still not be able to correct it. So I don't know why they did the 280. Um, a lot of people sort of proclaimed this was going to be the end of Twitter. Uh, I mean, clearly it's not. And a lot of people, I like to keep everything 140. If I have to, I'll go over, but I still like to be like kind of traditionalist about it, keep it 140. But I don't so know if they Twitter did it for originalist. Trump. Is, is, yes. that, is that what, I, okay. I just want to make sure I'm on the. No, I, I, I like to keep it OG. I'm an OG when it comes. You know, it was funny because remember, remember we signed up pretty much like together. Yeah. Oh, I remember. I was like, I, what is this thing? You told me to do it. I still, didn't yeah. I still don't think I understand Twitter at all. Well, it's funny because you know who like the first person that we followed was out each other was? No, who was it? It was Julia Banderas at Fox. From Fox, yeah. Yeah, because if you go out your, on your follow thing, you can go down and see who you're for. It was like Julia Banderas. And I was I like... Do. I do like how they they keep that chronological so that you can actually yeah. see the order in which you follow because everything is in these strange groups for me. There'll be a group of you know friends at that time, and then there's a group oh, yeah. of news personalities, and then there's a group of tech journalists or something. It's it's, it's always in groups because that's how sporadic I use Twitter. It's awful. Oh yeah, no, I mean it's it's I, I love that they do that, and that's why I don't follow that many people, so I can always keep like kind of an order and see where I start following people. But yeah, I mean it's it's. I don't know why they did that. Um, I don't even know if Jack Dorsey even likes tweet. I mean, likes Trump. I mean, I don't think he does. Um, I mean, I think he likes that he promotes Twitter and everyone knows Twitter because of that. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he's like any other tech billionaire guy who just is, is sort of liberal. But, yeah, I don't know why they did that. Uh, Trump definitely uses it to his advantage, though. I mean, there's, yeah, I there's just, no I, doubt. It was something I was thinking about tonight, so I just had to get your your input on that because I felt like it was too much of a coincidence. Because they said, "How yeah. can we throw fuel on this fire? Let's give him more characters." What yeah, could I know. I mean, go wrong. I, I I think it's I think it's valid. I just don't know if I don't know. I just I just wouldn't see him wanting to help Trump uh, get more attention. I feel like I mean, because Trump just figured out how to thread tweets. I remember that was like a couple months ago. He just figured out how to kind of retweet retweet himself, kind of a thing. Um, so I don't know. It's possible, but I just assume that most, most of the guys in Silicon Valley like Trump even less than I do. So <laughs> I doubt they wanted to help his presidency out too much, but to get back to Alabama, to get back to Alabama, um, do we have to, we do, we do because okay. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be as big as everyone says it's going to be, but what you're going to see happen is this is going to embolden Steve Bannon, the Breitbart crew and uh populism and as a conservative that just kind of worries me a little bit that's that's the real i mean because roy moore's one of a hundred it's I mean, he's gonna say crazy stuff he might hurt the gop fine but we got enough people already doing that but to me the real problem is is that it's going to embolden steve bannon and steve steve bannon's backers and they're going to mess up a lot of primaries that we probably have a legitimate shot of winning I mean, it's funny that that Bannon's probably going to, if he wins tonight, he's going to take it as a W, but he's going to squeak by a seat that I think Donald Trump won the state by 25 points in you know, the last race. Jeff Sessions won probably by like 30-something, and he's going to get like a, you know, win by four points and be like, victory! And it's like, that's not a win. I mean, that's, that's terrifying, because if you do that in a West Virginia 
or a Wisconsin or somewhere else where we have a legit shot, we're losing that race. And that's what worries me because we could actually pick up seats in the Senate next year. But if we mess up some of these primaries, we're not. Well, let me ask you about that because I think notoriously there is a big concern that you get you get the crazies in the primary. But I don't ever – I mean generally that doesn't pan out. Do you think that that's something that could be a concern, that all of a sudden just the whoever the craziest Senate – uh, candidate is is going to make it through the primary and then just torpedo the general. Well, Thomas Massey, who I like a lot, even though I don't agree with him all the time. But I was getting ready to say you're he's way too conservative for you. Well, no, no, no. It's not that he's. <laughs> see, what's weird about me is that you know I I'll I'll battle like the conservatives in the hat like the Freedom Caucus and Ted Cruz. But then people were like, well, it's weird. Why didn't you like Donald Trump? And I'm like, well, because he wasn't a conservative. Like, yeah, but you fight. I'm a conservative, but I'm also a realist. And so I know where we can win battles and where we can't. And it's like, you know, let's shut the government down unless we get eight Democrats to vote with us. Like, that's a great idea in principle. And I'd, I'd be behind it if there was actually like a legitimate way to do that. I just don't see it happening. And so I always go, okay, fine. Let's just see what the best deal that we can get. So I like Massey. I like that he's conservative. I like that he's um, a deficit hawk, especially nowadays because they're – slowly disappearing but he actually made a comment about this he said you know i thought when i won it was because my constituents and there was this wave of conservatism almost libertarian conservatism and he said that you know after what happened with trump and everything else he said i realized that the people were just looking for the craziest guy in the race and i think he used some colorful language i don't remember exactly how he worded that, it yeah. but there was yeah and he said he was just looking for the craziest guy and i think that it it's already been that way, but create, like I said, it's like Ted Cruz, like Ted Cruz is crazy, but he's really smart. So he's like eccentric. It's kind of like when you're rich, you're not crazy or eccentric, but when you're really smart, you're also kind of eccentric. And so it was okay. But now we're getting like Roy Moore, who's just like straight up crazy uh, and a fanatic. And so to me, I'll take the issues I have with Ted Cruz. It's fine. Cause at least it's coming from a place of principle. I don't know where Roy Moore's opinions are coming from other than like what his conscience is telling him, which is, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to be making decisions and things. So yeah, no, it worries me because we're already doing that, but we've been pretty safe because they picked all like Thomas Massey went to MIT. He's a smart dude. It worries me when they start picking stupid people. <laughs> like what's the guy that's running against um, uh, Paul Ryan, the Paul Nellen guy who lost by like 80 points. Like that guy is an idiot. Uh, and then there's the guy, there's the felon in New York, Grimm, who got kicked, you know, he was giving money. He, he had hired an illegal and he got caught paying an illegal alien under the table and went to jail. And now he's running as a populist against illegal immigration. It's like the weirdest thing ever. But people like that very much concern me. And I think we're going to see a lot more of them, especially if Roy Moore wins. No, I, I, I don't disagree with that. And, and the, the thing that I struggle with personally and it's interesting to hear your take on it because I know we we are very similar ideologically, but we do approach things very differently. Yes. And, um, you know, th the thing that I've struggled with the most over the last year is that I completely get where the people are coming from that support a Roy Moore or a Donald Trump or whoever. I completely get where they're coming from that when you just are working a blue collar job, you're nine to five, you don't. You've never cracked open a political philosophy book. You just want more money in your pocketbook. And you just flip on the TV every night and you're frustrated as all get out at what's going on. And so you vote for something that's just so different because you're so tired of what's going on. 
how do you, but, but how do you balance that with, you know, I mean, theoretically, Jeb Bush should have been a very popular candidate in 2016. He got the least amount of votes. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we started, I, I see this the, kind of the thing I related to is that I, I really feel like President Obama led to President Trump. Because if you go back and listen to the things you and I were saying in 2008, oh, it yeah. was, holy cow, this guy has no qualifications. You're just getting behind him based on emotion. It, it, it's generalities and just change and hope. And we were making fun of that. And you have that for eight years. And then it becomes to the tipping point where then it swings the other direction. And you have someone who's completely unqualified for the job, has no particular philosophies that you agree with. You don't actually know where Trump is going to come down. I mean, tomorrow he could sign uh, a gun ban. I mean, you don't, yeah. I mean, he's, he's held such a variety of beliefs that you, you, you know, it, it's led the way for, for, for this sort of shift. And, and my question is, is how do you find that middle ground when you go between say uh, a Mitch McConnell and a Ted Cruz? Where do you, where do you find those middle candidates? Are, are they there? A, a Reagan, if you will, I, I really hate to, idealize that because everybody just says Reagan, 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 yeah. but someone that appeals to the masses and who is, is a pragmatist. For, for instance, when are you running for office, Tyler? <laughs> Never. <laughs> There's too much audio <laughs> on the internet of, of me to be able to actually run a campaign. Uh, no, the problem that you run into is that actually what's, what's weird is that Trump was actually that candidate because like I said, Trump is not a Ted Cruz from a constitutional perspective. No, he's, he's basically Bill Clinton in, in the 21st century. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, 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 he's a moderate, maybe right-ish he, leaning. Yeah. He's, he, what's interesting is he sort of ran this moderate. And like I said, if you, his first year in office, if you define a lot of the things that he's done, and this is what's kind of funny is that he's done a lot of conservative things that like if Jeb Bush had won, Jeb Bush would have done all of these things. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that or, or whoever, if Rubio would have won or Cruz would have won, whoever would have won, I don't, I do not see anything different in what Trump is doing and what any other Republican would have done. Um, the only difference is he, he obviously has a different technique that others don't. And that's where, you know, I criticize him a lot because I think he kind of shoots himself in the foot a lot because instead of us focusing on, you know, GOP tax bill right now, we're talking about did Donald Trump argue that Senator Kirsten uh, Gillibrand sexually propositioned him for campaign donations because the way he worded a tweet and it's like, that's what we're talking about. And if it wasn't that we'd be talking about, you know, I, I kind of wish he would have stayed out of Alabama, to be honest with you, uh, because now that's going to be the topic. And meanwhile, the GOP is trying to get this tax plan done, uh, not to mention we have a debt ceiling issue. And it's like. Trump actually hasn't been anywhere near as bad as I predicted and others who were wary of Trump predicted. Uh, but at the same time, his popularity is just, it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't help. I mean, when you have a 30 some percent popularity, I mean, the reason Reagan can get stuff done is he could go on TV, talk to the American people and tip O'Neill would then have to go, okay, we got to do something. But Trump can't do that. Trump can't. Trump goes on TV, says something, and his popularity goes the other way. And Schumer and Pelosi are like, I don't have to do anything. I'm fine. Um, and they don't have to go along with it. And so that's that's the problem. Uh, I don't know how you solve it because that's who Trump is. It's just Trump being Trump. And like I said, what worries me is that now you got more being more, and you're gonna have Trump being Trump, and then who knows what's gonna happen in the midterms. 
And then pretty soon, how are we going to get anything done? Because it's just going to be a bunch of people tweeting and saying crazy stuff. And I just don't, I don't know. I don't know at that point. I've, I've always wondered that. And that's my question that I ask everybody when they call into my show, when people will uh, criticize me for being, you know, too establishment. And I say, I will support removing Ron Paul right now and Mitch McConnell. If you can tell me how putting Louis Gohmert as the Speaker of the House and making Ted Cruz the majority leader is going to get us 60 votes in the Senate. If you can tell me how that's going to happen, I'll, I will support that move right now. But no one can ever tell me because I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you get eight Democrats to sign on to a spending bill. No idea. I wish I had an idea. Then I would run for office. But I don't. I have no idea how you do that. Well, and I think that you're you're tapping into that exact frustra frustration is that no one actually has any idea of how to get anything done. And I think people see that nothing really meaningful gets done. I think that part of it is you have this big wheel that's just moving with so much inertia that there's not a lot you can do to push it in a different direction. I mean, oh, yeah. really, really and truthfully, I mean, what what could let's say tomorrow that you had the veto proof majority to pass any bill that you wanted to, what would you put through that could actually be feasibly implemented? I mean, I think that's what you saw happen with Obamacare is that they shoved it through and pushed as much inertia as they could towards one particular subject, and it became an implementation nightmare. You just had the pushback in every single direction. You had people, the, the website crashing. You have premiums going through the roof. You've got all these other problems coming out from it. It's like, okay, great, you passed this, but now what? Now what do you do? Yeah. No, I mean, it's 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 a problem for the Republicans, and I don't know how you solve the problem. I mean, not at all. I mean, it, it's – but what I don't like about Donald Trump and others like Steve Bannon is that you have people out there, as you'd mentioned, who, you know, the, you know they, they work these sort of blue-collar jobs, and, you know, they're not reading political philosophy and, and studying, you know, Milton Friedman or um, Adam Smith or anything like that. And so they're talking about, hey, you know, and, and you know, and, and they're perceiving that this thing is happening to them, that, you know, China is taking over and that we're losing all of these things. And, and the only way to do that is to, you know, go back. That's why the Make America Great Again thing was so popular. But what upsets me is that every economist that I read goes, that can't happen. Like, it's just, it's, you know, it's like you can't, once we've started on this track, you can't go backwards. And we benefited far too much from globalization and everything else to turn it around and, you know, I saw, I can't remember who it was. I have one of the tweets favorited and they said that, you know, populism is this sort of belief that you can have modern conveniences with your grandfather's way of life and culture. And it's like, you know, you can have one or the other, but we can't have all these, you know, we can't be walking around with smartphones in our pockets uh, and having all this amazing technology and this healthcare that exists and lifespans increasing and just all this stuff that's made our lives better and then expect nothing else to change because of it. Um, the reason we all can afford smartphones is because of how cheaply they're made in certain countries and the reason we can buy clothes and all these things. And the reason we have all this stuff is because that's changed. But then at the same time, there's going to be a reaction to that. And the thing is, we have to be honest with people. And I feel like there are some Republicans that do that. And then you have the others that just go, oh, no, 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 we can, don't worry. Like, you know, Trump says, I want to bring those jobs back. How? The trade deficit's actually going to be worse this year than it was last year before he was president. How is he, you can't do these things and lying to these people is just going to make them. And to be honest with you, the Republicans are partly responsible because they talked about repealing Obamacare and doing all these things. If you just elect us and they knew that they couldn't do it. 
And so they lied to people. And so Trump's doing the same thing the Republicans did. And so I guess we can be mad at both. But the, the big issue is instead of explaining to people how they can get out of the situation that they're in, or at least explain to them why they're there, they lie to them and go, oh, vote for me. And I'm going to take it back to the 1950s. It's like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I think you sent me an article that went into depth about that, about how people are identifying with their their 20s or 30s or something like that. Yeah. So you have all these baby boomers that are just locked into this time period that is so great that they remember from their youth. And I think that part of it is th that sort of truth telling to yourself, Tyler, that that it's it's like when you go to the dentist and it's awful while you're sitting there and the drill is in your tooth and it's just a, it's a horrible experience and you go home and the pain kind of wears off and a couple of days later and you go yeah that wasn't too bad you forget how bad it was at the time that's that's oh, yeah. the way our that's the way we have survived evolutionarily is that we forget bad things it wouldn't do us any good if we were just too afraid to walk outside every day we just forget and i think that's part of it is that when people look back at how great things used to be like you said, yeah, it was great, but it's not what we have now. We have so much more now and no one is appreciative of that. Everybody says, oh, I wish it was the 60s again. And we all had jobs that now these pensions have bankrupted companies. I mean, yeah. all these great things that used to exist have destroyed themselves for a reason. You oh, don't yeah. go work at a factory. It's not because we don't make things anymore, which is always the argument. It's that the systems they put into place, they were so greedy that they couldn't afford to sustain themselves and they've all gone bankrupt. We saw that with the auto industry. Well, but they've, they've automated them. I mean, they've automated this. And so that's why, you know, I mean, it was funny. I was driving, I drove down to Georgia. It was like this 10 hour drive to, to, to rural Georgia. And we drove down there and we were driving through these tiny towns and every driveway had three or four cars in it. And it's like, you go back in the day, you know, a middle-class, I mean, these are poor neighborhoods. And I guarantee every, almost every single person in that house has a car. You drive back in the day, a middle-class neighborhood, one car per household. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do we afford all those cars? Well, you have to make the car cheaper. Uh, and so what happens is that we make the car cheaper. Everyone can afford it. Everyone goes, this is awesome. Now I can, now my family can have two cars, but guess what? You've now made it to that person who was making $80,000 working at the car plant is now going to have to make 50,000. And, and, but at the time, everyone's like, oh, who cares? It's great. You know, I'm going to be retiring soon, whatever. And you're also right about the pensions. It's the same thing that's happening with entitlements is that these things were never sustainable. And they were based off of this sort of these economic models that we'd always have more workers than retirees, assuming everyone was going to die. At I mean, people forget that social security was set up when the average lifespan was like 50 and you're going to get your yeah. first check at 65. <laughs> and so it's like now retirement is a, is a right. Um, all of these things are rights and they were always destined to fail. And now it's just getting worse because the model's getting worse. And so all these promises that were made were never actually true to begin with. So you can't go back. You can't just can't go back to it because it, it was a fantasy to begin with. Yeah, that's that's the big to, problem. Yeah. People are trying to cash a check that should have never been written. And we see that every day with, okay, everyone needs to go to college. That's, that's the, that's the narrative. Everyone has a right to go to college. So it, Everyone goes to college regardless of their of, of whether or not they should. But let's say everybody goes to college and they leave with $35,000 in debt. So now every month after you graduate, you're making a payment to that. And everyone has to have a cell phone because it's your right to have a data plan so that, you know, you everyone has a smartphone now. And so you have all of these, the, the base cost of living has gone up tremendously. Like you said, not only did one family or a family have a single car 40 years ago, 
but you didn't have all of these monthly payments for cell phones and student loans and all oh, this. Yeah. So you could actually establish yourself. I mean, there's so many problems with it all. I think. We well, no, I mean, it's, it's, you make me, you go back in the day, they had one TV, no cable, no cell phone. I mean, you had none of these things and now everyone else has a cell phone. Everyone has their own computer. Everyone has their own data plan. Everyone has all these things and we love it. And people got Netflix and they're cord cutting. And so there are, there are ways that people are saving money doing this. But just the reality is, is that people who are arguing that we need to go back to this time. And the thing is, and this is another one of those things where how do you solve it? And the question is, I don't know. I mean, you have a lot of people that can adapt. You have people that have transferable skills. You have a lot of situations where that's fine. But yeah, are there people who back in the day, we could pay them to go into a factory and do the most sort of basic menial job and even if they were not even a functioning IQ, they could do that, just pulling a lever, doing something pretty basic. Where does that person go? I don't know, because that person's not gonna become a computer programmer. That person's not going to be able to become a you know, fast food, uh, you know, touch screen technician. Like, how do you, where do those people go? I don't know what the answer to that is. I just assume that there's always gonna be jobs because you know, as people, as we become more sort of used to this lifestyle of leisure, we're willing to almost pay for that in some way. I mean, you look at like the gig economy, like we have Uber drivers, we have, um, you know, that's becoming a big thing where you're, you're almost like paying. It's almost like that's sort of what capitalism does. It, it takes what rich people have and then applies it to, to the masses. And what are rich people always have? They have drivers. They have people to go get things for them. And now you're seeing that where, where there are jobs opening up where, you can deliver for Amazon on your way home from work. And there's all these going to be all these options that are out there, but you got to just kind of trust it in a way. And that's not to say that there aren't bad things happening. You know, you and I have talked about crony capitalism a lot and some of the things that are happening in North Carolina with regards to the, the incentive packages that we're trying to offer are disgusting. But at the same time, um, we got to stay true and, and trust that capitalism will work. And, too many people don't. They they buy they buy the Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump arguments, and no. then trying to trying to put your finger on the scale always messes it up worse. No, you're you're absolutely right. And one of my favorite uh, explanations of this is from uh, Elon Musk, and he talks about creative destruction. And we never talk about that on a on a grand scale. And it's you know the idea of why why didn't we bail out the um, you know the phone booths? Why why didn't we bail yeah. them out when they when they were going away? Because because something better came along. And that doesn't mean that, okay, so now everyone is having to pay a monthly cell phone bill. So that doesn't mean that a cell phone is innately better than a pay phone because a pay phone was only there when you needed it. And it was only a dime, right? Yeah. So, so why is a cell phone better? Well, it's better because it offers a, 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 a different path than the, than the phone booth uh, you know, offered you. So it's kind of that same thing. It's, it's, we don't know where things are going to go. I mean, let's say that in 10 years, you don't have banks anymore. I mean, with Venmo and Apple Pay, and yeah. all these I mean, I mean, Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything is becoming so digital. Why, why are you going to need bank tellers in ten years? You know, well, so, I mean, technically, so, they're all, they're almost all gone. I mean, but here's the thing. So today, my my uh, I had to get my phone fixed. I had to get my screen fixed the other day. And how many stores in in towns now are screen repair shops? Those jobs didn't exist five years ago. Yeah. And now there's like now there's probably in every town there's two or three hundred people that are probably employed by these stores that fix all they do is fix screens on on iPads and computers and phones but there was one statistic I saw last week 
1999, 170,000 people worked in video stores in this country. Uh, I think last year it dropped below 10,000. So that's like 94% drop in the video store employment industry. And where, where, that's, where are people that's wild? Why are people crying? Oh, but because they love Netflix, because they love iTunes, because they love Redbox. So because their lives have become better, they're okay with those jobs disappearing. But like when a car manufacturer and car manufacturing jobs disappear, that's a crisis. But it's like, what about the, what about the video store guys? <laughs> like they're all out of work. Like, oh, yeah. God, who cares? It's just a video store. Dude, there were managers there. There were local mom-and-pop shops that were owned by – I mean, it wasn't just, like, the high school kid working there. There were, like, people who had careers working in that industry, and it vanished in, like, a decade, and nobody seems to care about that. And it's just – it's this selective outrage over certain industries that is really what drives me crazy. Well, and I think that the philosophical point behind what Elon is saying, and to your point, is that if we don't let – the, the old things go, you don't know what those people are going to do because everybody always says, well, all those video store employees are going to lose their jobs. You know, So we need to bail that out or we need to save that industry or we need to do incentives or some sort of protectionism. But they don't realize that if those 100,000 people that are now going to be not working behind the desk of a video store, they're going to have 40 hours a week to put towards something else. And most people who probably stood and worked in Blockbuster could do something better with their 40 hours. That doesn't mean yeah. they might not be unemployed for a little while or that they, I mean, it, I feel like it's always a negative viewpoint. Nobody says, look at what they could be doing. I mean, that, that was my point with the bank tellers. If you get rid of bank tellers, everyone's going to be upset at all of these jobs lost. But what can that bank teller now go out and do? With well, that's time? true too. But I mean, it, and, and the thing is, is we don't know, but I mean, if, I mean, you look at what it costs, what did it cost to rent a movie? It was like four fifty, right? Four or five bucks. And if it was late, you had to pay the for that. One? Yeah, it was like seven yeah. or eight bucks for the new release the first yeah, week so, or something. Yeah, so you know, five, six, seven dollars for a movie. You rent for a month, you know, you're looking at 20, 25 to 30 dollars is what you're spending to rent these movies. And so now you're spending ten dollars a month for Netflix. So now you have an extra 20 bucks in your pocket and you're gonna go buy something. And then if everyone does that, that's what see, people just look at, they don't understand that 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 what happens in those situations, you just transfer the cost to something else. It's not like that. Now, in some cases, people might save it, but most millennials, what we're gonna consume, and so we're gonna go spend, buy it on something else. And like I said, I had to go spend 100 bucks to get my screen fixed. And you know, maybe I wouldn't have been able to do that, but if, if I was spending 30 or $40 a month renting movies, now I can watch a new movie every day. I can all, you know, it just, and, and also you look at Netflix, like I own three, TV series on DVD, those things cost me like 80 bucks, like each. And now how many series are on Netflix? So I'm not having to buy it. I mean, just it's, there's so much money that's possibly being saved. And then all that money is going to go somewhere. And that's where the jobs are then going to be created. I mean, who? Right. I, I don't know where they're going to go. Like I said, I mean, to me, the, the screen repair industry has just kind of popped up overnight. Um, <laughs> that is where that money's going. And so who knows where the next dollar is going to go? But you have to let it. You have to let it happen. You can't try and force it or try and stop it because all you're going to end up doing is just is, is screwing it up. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, one final point on this that that I will add that I brought up. Um, we we had several discussions about kind of when government has to step in, right? And that's always the thing is, well, you know, X X population is not getting Y service, 
Okay. So government has to step in and do that. They've, they've got to provide this. They've got to be the, yeah. the referee in this or, or be the, the ones to, to go out and, and be the service provider. And I said, I, I think that the, the misdiscussion on that is there's never a, a, a consideration of time frame, right? So let's say, let's rewind 10 years and say that government is trying to put broadband in, in across the entire country. That's going to be an insane cost and, um, and, and just a massive over overhaul of, of an infrastructure system where now 10 years later, almost everyone has access to broadband except for rural areas. Well, so but if, also if you give, if you give the process time, it will generally come up with the best solution. Well, but also who knows how long, I mean, fiber seems to be the next and far better option that you're seeing pop right. up in other places that Google's pushing and Verizon's pushing. And so the problem with this, like, that's that's why technology it's 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 even worse for government to get involved because our technological advances at this at this point are just who knows i mean i remember you know, 17 years ago going to college before then i had never had you know broadband it was just dial up and then i got to school and we had ethernet and i was like holy crap that was amazing how quick i could download stuff off napster and it was amazing and you know here we are you know and even back then you know now we have wireless everywhere um and then pretty soon fiber is going to be the next big thing but then the, you know this whole net neutrality argument where everyone's making this argument about having access but the point that everyone keeps making is that based on projections in the tech industry in 10 years every, everything's going to be wi-fi everywhere so who cares about who you know who cares about who's providing you service at your house because if everything in the future is Wi-Fi, you can just go, okay, I'm not going to use you because you're, you're uh, t I'm tethering my uh, websites that I like. So I'm going to go to this other guy and he's going to be your competition. It's just, it's, it's the government is so slow already. And the tech sector, the tech sector makes them look even worse. I mean, when the, what was the guy's name? The Wheeler, the FCC guy, in his argument about why we need net neutrality, he used AOL as his example. <laughs> it's like AOL. I mean, who at AOL? I mean, that, that company was like one of the greatest, you know, sort of flash in the pan companies ever. And that was his example. I mean, so not only is government always bad at keeping up, it's even worse in the tech sector because they're so far behind by the time they even get to the regulations, we've moved to the next technology. So that's it's even worse with tech. And it's gonna it's it's gonna get even worse as we go forward and as this technology advances. Oh, I I completely agree. But I know we're uh, we're pushing against the uh, the clock a little bit here. So I wanted to get your final prediction. What do you think the uh, the the spread is going to be on the Alabama election tonight? <laughs> uh, I see. It's ever since Trump, I don't like making predictions anymore because I feel like my gut is so wrong at this point. Because see, my gut's telling me Roy Moore wins, but my gut told me that Trump was going to win. Uh, or was going to lose. So because my gut is telling me Roy Moore is going to win, I, I'm going to say he's going to lose because I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to pull a George Costanza. Whatever I think I'm supposed to do, I'm going to do the opposite. So my, I'm, it's telling me Roy Moore is going to win. So even though I think he's going to win, I think he's going to win by five or six points. I'm actually going to make a prediction that he ends up losing by two or three. So you think this could be one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest upsets, really. I think if you look at it, as far as why would, I mean, when was the last time that a yeah. Senate candidate won in a state that that red or blue? Either oh, way? I, the, the only thing is, though, is that it will be huge. Um, but I don't think anyone's going to look at it and go, 
oh my gosh, this is the greatest upset in political. I mean, I, I still think Trump's is probably the biggest upset in political history. Um, I don't think you're going to, because it was so controversial going into today and that in any other state, Roy Moore would have been just decimated. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, statistically, it'll be the biggest upset, but I don't think it's going to be this giant upset um, for most people. And I actually think Roy Moore losing helps Republicans because I think it'll show people, hey, you got to show up in 2018. If more squeaks by, I think it motivates Democrats. And that's the last thing we want going into the midterms is motivated Democrats. So my gut going against my gut, let's hope, let's hope my against my gut's right. That's, I, I should go with like a, a, a column against the gut. I think I, that would be like, I like a great it. You would, it would involve you, <laughs> but other than that, I like, I like the idea. So let, let me, let me ask you one little final thought. But what's your prediction? On, what's your prediction on Alabama? I, I, I think he wins. I, I, I don't know by, by how much I just, I think if there's one thing 2016 showed us, it's that people don't care about the things that you think they care about. That's true. Especially uh, people you, in the media. Yeah. And, 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 and kind <laughs> of to that, to that point, it's, well, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a whole nother kind of worms, but I was just, I was just essentially going to say like, you know, with, with everything going on right now, with all of these scandals, where do you think the place is of when people should drop out of a race and when they should stay in a race? Can you answer that in 30 seconds? Like, what do you mean? Like, when? Okay, let's, let, let's say you run for Senate next year and somebody comes up and says, well, Tyler Crawley touched me inappropriately one time. Should you immediately drop out? Should there be a, like, how do you, how do you handle a situation like this? I think, I think, I think that's the biggest thing that I'm wrestling with is I think there's validity. To, it, it's maybe true, not true. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know any of the evidence firsthand, but should I, someone drop out of a race when things like that come up? I think when the part, I think your party, that's why you have a party. That's why you're a member of a party. And when the party comes to you and says, get out of this race. Okay. Yeah. I, I think like that's that what you got to do because that's why you have the party. They're, they're not individuals, you know, they're the Republican representatives and they know, and they'll know, and they, and they can look at things, even if the allegations aren't true. I mean, there's no point in being selfish. Remember, you're supposed to be representing the people, but you're also representing your country and the party and everything else. And so when the party comes to you and says, get out of this race. And the best thing about that is that you might still be salvageable is that they might say, hey, listen, we, you know, once this blows over and these allegations are false, we're going to look at you again. But if you buck them and say, no, I'm doing this, and then you end up losing, oh, you're done. Like, you're done. And so it's been, it's, it's advantageous for you. It's everyone involved. And so uh, now in this case, you know, it's a little different because they had the, you know, how would you have gotten someone else who had to have a write-in and all this craziness? So I don't know. But I think when the party tells you it's time to go, I think it's, it's time to go. Because if you don't, you're starting, you're going to start off your tenure in an adversarial relationship. And it's just going to be downhill from there. So just All look right, at well, Trump, Trump and the Republicans right now. <laughs> we will, uh, we will just see. And I guess the next time we talk, we'll have a, we'll have a little hindsight to see how things went and yes. uh, see how close your prediction of both him winning and losing was. I like to tell you, I like to tell you hedge your bets on that. That did not get past me at all. Well, dude, after Trump, dude, I, I, asking me who's going to win is you might as well go to like a kindergarten class and do a poll because I, I, I admit my uh, naivete when it comes to my, my listening to my gut with polling anymore. That's actually how a lot of polls are conducted that at elementary schools. In case crayons, you crayons are important. All right. Sounds good. Well, I am Kevin King. That was Tyler Crawley and we will uh, see you soon.